0: Welcome to the weekly message from Encounter, where the past has no future and hope is reborn. Our speaker today is Bishop Michael Rice, lead pastor at Encounter. We are this morning I want to talk to you about the subject, Beyond These Walls. And our reading is out of the book of Isaiah, chapter 61, verse 1, and we're reading out of the NIV, but only, I don't like the NIV, it's just its just bad on so many levels, um, so before I ever use the NIV, I, I make sure to run the references and double check, and, and they don't get everything wrong, they just get so much wrong, let's... It's like the Cleveland Browns. They don't lose every game, okay? But you're not going to go bet money on them, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, and so in, in this particular incident, they, they, I believe that they have it right, and the language they use is clear for the purpose that God has put on my heart today. Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is, is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. Would you be kind enough to stretch your hand this way and pray with me and for me, Father? I desire to unburden my heart with what you burdened with in a way that honors you. And I also know, God, that that my efforts will fall short. So, Holy Spirit, I just ask you to do what you do so well. Would you reveal truth to us today? And even now, speak into people's darkness and into their bondages, God, and declare freedom in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated if you're standing. This is kind of a follow-up message to last week. If you remember, or if you were here last week, you know that we we talked about the three parables of something lost. There was the, the lost sheep, the parable of the lost sheep, and there was the parable of the lost coin, and then there was a parable of the lost son. People call it the story of a prodigal son, but it's a parable of a lost son. And we talked about that the first and the third parable, the lost sheep and the lost son, both played an active role in finding themselves in a bad place. The sheep wandered off. The son wandered off. But the coin was unique. Because the coin had done nothing to have put itself in the position it found itself. Coins don't lose themselves, they get lost. And the coin had done nothing at all to find itself now in a dark place, a dirty place, and a lone place. It was the actions of somebody else that put them there. And I think that some of us here can relate to that. I long ago forgave my dad. I can truly tell you that I love him. I understand. I didn't choose to be abused. I didn't ever remember putting in an order for an abusive father. So I I can relate to the lost coin. And today we're looking at a verse written by Isaiah several thousand years before Jesus came. And I'm sure that Isaiah didn't understand the incredible impact that this verse would have. I, I don't think that he, he could have possibly known that Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, would be born and grow up and one day stand in a temple and say the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me for he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and then he goes on to say about lost things and he says to proclaim freedom for the captives and release of darkness from darkness For the prisoners captives and prisoners they have a lot of things in common they're in a bad place I've I've never served time in prison only because I never got caught just being real I've been in jails visiting other people I have gone to a prison on numerous occasions to visit people who have been in prison long term, and I, I got a little taste of it. You, you know, you have to be, you have to write, and you have to be background checked, and you have to go through a process to be allowed to visit a prisoner. and And I went through all of that. And even when you go there, you know, they they search you, and you can't take certain things in, and and they they put a, a hand stamp on you that can only be seen under ultraviolet light, and, and you go through several steps, and, and then when you go into the waiting room, then they go and find the prisoner that you're going to visit with, and they bring them, and it's kind of a surreal place because, you're, you know, you're locked in there, and, and several times a, a, a day, at least at this prison, they, they had what they called a lockdown, and everybody's movement stops, and, and a head count is done and they know they should have X number of prisoners, and, so, and they know they have the X number of visitors, and so then on the entire campus they count, and nobody moves until they get the count right. And I, I was there a time or two when a count happened, but I tried to get out before the count because it could sometimes be a, a time-consuming thing. And one particular day I mistimed it and the the bell went off while I was still in the the visiting room and and it normally would take fifteen or twenty minutes, and for whatever reason, they weren't getting the right count and And the, the, the fellow that I was there to visit had already left. so I, I'm in the, the the waiting room by myself and and so finally, after almost an hour, I'm thinking, you know what I, I've got things to do. I, and so I, you know, I got up and I walked to the guard at the door and I said, listen, man, I, you know, I've got my ID with me. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've got to go. I, I can't stay here for this. And I said, I, I've got the, I've got the thing. You know, you can scan my hand. You can see who I am. And you, you. I said, I, I need to go. He said, sit down and shut up. I said, excuse me? He said, you ain't going nowhere until we tell you. And so I said okay what do you do it's not like I'm going to break out of a prison I shouldn't have been in in the first place so I sat down thank God for large bladders you know what I'm saying that was an uneasy feeling not being allowed to go where I wanted to go and But a prisoner usually is there because of something they've done. Not always, but usually. A captive and a prisoner are different in that a captive is usually not captive because of something they've done, but because of what somebody else has done. prisoner is in prison usually because of an action that they have taken. A captive has been taken captive see the difference and I'm glad that Jesus came to set both of them free it really doesn't matter to him, isn't that neat I love the part in the story when he leans down to the woman and says where are thine accusers and she says "They're, they're gone he says neither do I condemn thee that's a word for somebody There's a spirit that has been operating on this planet to try to take people captive. And he wants to move them into a neighborhood that I call victimhood. He either initiated or utilizes the actions of somebody else to try to plant into your head and your heart that you are a victim. You can see this raise its head all the way back in the Garden of Eden when he speaks to Eve and he says, God's keeping something from you. You can see it in the language of Cain when he's upset that God has honored Abel's sacrifice but isn't honoring Cain's. And and the Spirit of God tries to warn him and said, listen, there's a a lion at the door. It's waiting to get you. And let me paraphrase and drag you into victimhood. Just say no. No. And we 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 see advertisement for this this spirit to get you to move into victimhood, and and the, and the cost is is relatively low. All, all it requires is for you to have suffered suffered some kind of loss or pain at the hands of another. Does that apply to anybody? Anybody in here ever suffered loss or pain at the hands of another? Put your hand up for a moment. Okay, those of you that don't put your hand up, feel free, you're done. Okay, but, but for those of us that have, the price for us to enter into victimhood has already been paid. And there's an open invitation, come and live in the neighborhood. It's like the old billboard from the 50s when they would build a new subdivision, you know, they'd, put these smiling people on it and move into this neighborhood in that neighborhood you will find people that are like you they're victims how many know it's we we I, we most of us would prefer to live around people that are like us or like in the Words of the theme song to Cheers, where everybody knows your name. We all want to go where there's people like us. We, we lived for a while in an apartment complex, and there was nobody in that apartment complex like us. It was the first time in our life we had ever lived in a large apartment complex. And... And they, they, were, they were, I'm not being critical, I'm just observing. They were more like rats. Meaning they just, you know, they'd, they'd scurry in and out of their little holes. You'd see them in the hallway, and if you talked to them, they were shocked. You were just supposed to walk down the hallway and not say anything, not even make eye contact. And when you'd see them and say, hey, how's it going? What? That was a typical response. What? How's it going, man? All right. <laughs> What's wrong with him? He just talked to me. I was heading out, and I was going to the store, and I ran into some guy. I said, hey, man, I'm, I'm running up to the grocery store. Do you need anything? What? I was running up to the store. <laughs> Do you need me to pick something up? He just... He looked at me and just kind of slowly backed into his door. I'm like, dude, I ain't selling d- drugs. They, they, they it's just a unique experience. You just. We like to be around those people that are like us. In victimhood, you, you'll find people that are like you. They'll, they'll be compassionate because they, they understand your pain. You want to sit in a group circle and have a group circle cry? They'll do that with you. In victimhood, you'll find people of compassion. You'll find people that will understand your struggle. In victimhood, you'll find people who can relate to you who are like you. And victimhood can be a comfortable place. Problem with victimhood is nobody's cured there problem with victimhood is nobody's ever getting free. problem with victimhood is there's no joy there. There's just joint suffering. Victimhood is a place where if we're not careful, we can get stuck. I... Throughout the week, as the Lord is speaking to my heart, I, I work on the message, and, and then usually on Saturday night, I go over it, and, and I pray some more, and then I, I try to put a title to it. I, always tell to, tell, talk, I try to tell preachers or teachers that, that if you can't put a title to your message, you ain't saying nothing. And I first started to put down this title, Captive Christians when the Holy Spirit said, there is no such thing. A resident of victimhood took a momentary event and turned it into a lifestyle. And their life is now flavored by that in the way that they talk in the way that they think, in the way that they act. I've met people, and my heart goes out to them, who their default is, I'm a victim. Come on. I know this is uncomfortable, but it's true. Their default position is victim. They want they wanna default to victimhood. They, they live in victimhood, and they're proud of it. And they will even make you guilty to justify them living in victimhood, even when you've done nothing wrong. What do you mean by that? That's what he said to me. He had showed up his first time at church. He was dressed to the nines. His wife was with him and said, man, it's good to see you glad you're here. I said, it was good to see you. And I went to his wife. I said, glad you're here. I didn't think nothing of it. Service was starting. The worship band was already starting to play. It was, I didn't have time for a long conversation. I went up to the front pew like I always did and worship and everything went on. And it was literally time for me to walk forward. I leaned over to pick up my Bible and feel some guy hit me on the shoulder. I turn and there he stands he goes what the blank did you mean by that I said pardon me he said you welcomed me but you said to my wife glad to see you what did you mean by that I know an attack of the enemy when I see one I said listen my friend what I said offended you, I want you to know no offense was meant. Promise you I'll be more careful next time. Walked up to the pulpit and preached. They showed back up next week, which kind of surprised me. So I shook his hand. Glad to see you today. It's good to see you, man. Good morning. And they, they were about fifty years old was my guess. I'm bad in ages, but they were about fifty years old. And they had a little six year old boy with them. At that time we had a son that was six years old. So I said, Well my goodness, how are you? What's your name? And the 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 the, the wife speaks up and tells me his name. And I say to him, I said, Is this your son? Because it could be grandson. He's six. And he wasn't here last week, and he's here this week, and I didn't know. The guy didn't answer me. So I just, I just turned my direction back, attention back to the boy, and I said, listen, i got a six-year-old boy. You know, and he's like you. He's full of life. You, if you guys want to ever get together and play, we, we, could, we could work that out. He said, okay. I walked to the front pew, and same thing. I'm literally turning to pick up my notes to go to the pulpit, and there he is. He hits me on the shoulder, but harder this time. He says, what the blank did you mean by that? I said, excuse me? He says, my, my son, when you asked me if that was my son, are you implying my wife has slept around? I said, no, I was implying I didn't know whether it was a son or a grandson. I said, you're about my age. I could have grandkids at 50 years old. No, I think you were implying my wife sleeps around. That's exactly why I hate going to church. Right there. You judgmental, self-righteous people. I think that guy's the mayor of victimhood. I think he is. He sells land in victimhood. I've known people down through the years that, I'm not being critical, that have moved into victimhood and they own it like a badge. And the pain in them is so deep, it, it, it structures everything they do. They, they can't succeed. They, they can't move forward. They, 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 they spend their life looking for somebody else to blame for their situation. And oftentimes, there is plenty of opportunity. Listen to me, because they have been done wrong. You hear me? There is justification for what they feel. Their pain is genuine. Their bondage is absolute. And they blame others for everything they feel and everything they do. You made me so mad. Being mad's a choice. You offended me. The Bible says the righteous are not easily offended. The devil made me do it. The devil don't make nobody do nothing. Listen. I joked about that fellow being the mayor of victimhood. I'll tell you who's the governor of the state of victimhood, and it's the devil himself. Well, God, I can't do anything with Job because you... Adam in the Garden of Eden had moved into victimhood quickly. As soon as he fell, as soon as he sinned, he instantly moved into victimhood. And God said, Adam, where are you? He's in victimhood. I tell you how I know he's in victimhood. He pulled out the brochure. That woman that you gave me, do you hear it? If it weren't for you and it weren't for her, I wouldn't be in victimhood right now. Are you hearing me? Listen, I... I'm feeling the Holy Spirit all over me right now. This is for somebody. don't don't let the enemy distract you with anything. don't let them we're, we're, we're bigger than those games, okay? Give me one of these. We're bigger than that. I'm not bragging. i'm just i'm just I'm just extending hope to somebody. we we, we all we all have an anointing for something. when when Peter was called, he, he was called while he was casting out nets. And, and Jesus said, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And so that's what Peter did. He evangelized. When, when John was called, he, he, was, he was mending nets. And John became one who mended things. He, he fixed the church when it was broken. He was anointed for that. I, I thank God for all the, 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 the people that have gotten saved and all the people that have gotten filled. But I want to tell you, I'm anointed to bring freedom to people, anointed to bind it back up, to to fix it where it was broken. It was whole somewhere, and and now it's broken, and it needs fixed, and somebody needs to sit down and fix it, and that is my anointing. That is my calling. If you're here this morning, and you're broken, and and you're you're, you're in bondage, I want to tell you that you can leave here today free. If you plug into what God is speaking to us, you can leave here. You don't have to start a long, drawn-out process. There can be a moment in time. There are times when it takes a process, and there are times of suddenlies. And today can be a suddenly for somebody if you choose it to be. Victims, they buy into impossible resolutions. They have entrenched themselves in their victimhood. And the enemy has taught them that it is impossible for them to get fixed. That the, the, the fix that he offers them is one that will never reach them. There was a time in my life that I lived in victimhood. Listen, I know what I'm talking about. I moved out. But while I lived in victimhood, I, I lived hoping for the day that the one who did me wrong would say they were wrong for doing it and they were sorry. And that was going to fix everything for me. And sometimes I would get around them and just pour out my victimhood on them, hoping. How many know what I'm talking about? Hoping on it would draw compassion out of them and I saw none of that and I didn't understand that that the moment I, I make that person the cure for my victimhood I've made them my savior listen to me that's what the devil does the very one that put you in prison he gets you to looking at them to set you free how sick is that amen And we sit and wait for that person. We just wait for that moment when they come to you and say, I'm sorry I did that to you. It was all my fault. It was none of your fault. And we wait for that person to come fix it. But I'm telling you, they're probably not coming. And one day, Jesus walked up to the pool of Bethesda. And you know the story that on occasion, an angel would descend from heaven and stir the waters and when the angel did that, the first person in the pool is the one that got healed. Listen to me for a moment. It's suggested that about 600 people can sit around that pool. So, on the rare occasion when the angel would come, there would be one person that would receive joy, and 599 would sit there. I mean, know what I'm talking about. And every individual sitting around that pool has something wrong they want fixed. Every one of them is a victim of something. And that, that pool was located literally in the middle of the city. It's open porticles. There was, and so when you sat in there day after day after day waiting for something to happen, you could hear those on the outside going through life. And they're rejoicing and they're laughing. And, but even worse than that, Pam, they're living. While I'm stuck sitting here. Can anybody relate to that? And they're stuck sitting there and they're waiting for a resolution that only rarely ever comes. And there is somebody here this morning that though you rejoice with those that have been set free, you're wondering, when is your day? Can you imagine what it would be like to be sitting at that pool and the angel comes and the guy next to you gets healed and delivered and you knew what he had gone through and you celebrate with him, but as you see his butt walk out the door, here I am. Dude, I'm happy for you. I want to tell you the fix the remedy for living in victimhood will not be found in another person it will not be found in them coming to you and saying they're sorry they were wrong it never should have happened it'll come in the person of jesus christ if mankind could have fixed this then god would not have sent jesus But Jesus showed up and he said, I'll tell you why I'm here. I'm here. For the captives and the prisoners. That's why I came. That's why I'm walking on this planet. That's why I have blood in my veins. That's why the Spirit of God clothes me like a robe. Because my father sees your captivity. My father sees your prison. And he wants you to know that there's life beyond these walls. One day Jesus showed up at the pool of Bethesda and he he sees one guy who's sitting there living in his victimhood. How do you know he's in victimhood? Because of the way he talks. Why aren't, would you be made whole? Oh, oh, oh yeah, man. I would be, but... every time the angel comes I don't have anybody you hear me I don't have anybody it never answers the question why don't you scoot closer why don't you get somebody listen to me for a moment the person that's going to help them is standing right in front of them and he says he don't have nobody. Are you with me? Don't be that person today. Don't be that one today. He said, I don't, I don't have anybody. I, 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 you know, that others get down before me. So I, I'm just stuck here. I'm stuck here because I don't have anybody. And Jesus says get up listen to me listen to me for a moment listen to me for a moment it sounds so simple it can't be true I'm going to telling you I'm going to tell you from personal experience it starts with you just getting up starts I hated my life I hated my life. The abuse that I had suffered had put me into such a black hole. I hated my life. I hated it. And it all began to change when I quit looking for the one who put me in the prison to make it right. And what a joy it was, years later, after I was able to get out of that prison, for me to stand by his hospital bed and lead him out of his darkness. So we have a scripture in the book of Second Corinthians. Chapter 10, verse five. "For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds." casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to paraphrase what this verse is saying in part. The weapons we have are not man-made weapons. They're not useless. They're powerful. He says they're powerful to the point that they'll hold down strongholds. You know what a stronghold is? Stronghold is the heart's strongest place. It's the the most powerful place of a castle or a fortified city. It's the strongest place. In these spiritual terms, he tells us what the strongholds are. The stronghold is imaginations, knowledge, thought. He tells you, I'm going to pull down strongholds. What are the strongholds? Imaginations, knowledge, thought. Imaginations, knowledge, and thought. Casting down imaginations. Man, you've got to imagine you've been made for something better than this, folks. God did not, listen, especially those that have suffered it, at captivity because of something that happened to you as a child, God did not make you to be a victim. And though God did not stop what happened to you, he can take that which was meant for your evil and use it for your good and his glory. And I've seen it literally happen thousands of times because I know my way out of victimhood because I traveled that road, Stacy. And every time I get to lay hands on somebody and see them delivered, I see God doing that. Every time I can deliver a message and people receive what God is saying and they believe God and they stand up, God is taking that which was meant for my evil and using it for my good and his glory. Casting down imaginations. A stronghold, spiritually speaking, is a demonically induced pattern of thought that is contrary to the word and will of God. The word and will of God says you are more than a conqueror. The word and will of God is that you are victorious in Christ. The word and will of God is not that you live in victimhood, but that you live in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. That's the word and the will of God for you. And how you get from where you are to there is you stand up. Son, you're living in victimhood. And you're stuck staring and stumbling. Stand up. I don't have anybody. Stand up. You think, you know, you know, the neat thing about standing up, you don't need anybody. And we need to quit being hypocrite. We, we, we whine about people who won't stand up for us when we won't stand up for ourselves. Come on. So stand up. I'm not being mean. Listen to me. The finger of God is flicking demons off people as I speak. I'm seeing sparks across this auditorium as I'm talking. I know what I'm talking about right now. You start this by standing up and you say, I refuse to be a victim anymore. See, I believe that God planted this down inside of me years ago, even before I was serving him. And in high school, I was an eighth grader and I I was just a typical eighth grader and Got outside, and there was a guy out there by the name of Eric Dickerson. And in our high school, they were going through transition and growth problems, and so the 8th graders were in the same building with the ninth, 10th, 11th, or 12th graders. Eric Dickerson played linebacker for the Copley High School football team. He's a man. He's 18. I'm an 8th grader. I got on the wrong side of Eric one time. And he beat me to a pulp. I'm, no, I'm not bragging. Folks, I, got, I, got, I was crying like a girl when he got done. Okay? He beat me to a pulp. I remember one time, because I just kept getting back up. My eyes were swelling set, shut. I, I could taste the blood in my mouth. I wasn't a believer then this was nothing spiritual except part of the nature that God has put inside of me he'd knock me down I'd stand up I'll never forget as long as I live I stood back up and man, my eyes were swelling shut he said just stay down I knew there was no way I was going to win this fight but I said to him listen man I got more up than you got down So I said, we're done when you're done. Call it silly. As he walked away, I'm standing. Sometimes, folks, listen to me. It is a war. You've got you to find that fight spirit in you. you got to find that. said, I'm tired of sinning here, and I live my life rejoicing over somebody else's freedom. I want my own freedom. I want to be free. I deserve to be free. And I want to tell you it. it, Siri's looking up that word. Deserve to be free now. I wasn't talking to you. It's an imagination. You've imagined yourself a victim. The enemy tempted you into victimhood by the act that was perpetrated on you and you believed him. And rather than being taken captive, You need to take every thought captive. Listen, you're either hunted or the prey. We're called to be the hunter. I said that wrong. We're either the hunter or the hunted. And we're called to be the hunter. And the very thought that is holding you captive, God is waiting for you, and he's empowered you to take it captive. You cast down that imagination. I may have been victimized, but I'm not a victim. I may have gotten knocked down, but I'm not staying there. Do not turn a temporary event into a lifestyle. Because then it perpetrates itself. You align yourself with people who will hurt you. She was a beautiful lady. She's beautiful in spirit she she was a worship leader where we pastored and and we were blessed to see her get saved and and she had been she came to what drove her to church is her alcoholic husband her abusive alcoholic husband had died in a car wreck and and she's still trying to work through that and she come to know the Lord through that pain and and after a a good season in her life of God doing a restorative work her gift of music was being put to use and she's the worship leader. Such a humble, gentle-spirited lady she was. Intelligent. One of the largest hospitals in in Columbus, Ohio. She ran the surgical wing. She was the top person. She's not stupid. And she had such a humble spirit and, and she would just humbly lead us into the Lord's presence with her worship and Finally, she started to feel good about herself, but the, the victim mentality in her wasn't broken. The, the imagination hadn't been cast down. The, 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 the thought hadn't been taken captive. The, the knowledge hadn't been placed under the obedience of Christ yet. And she went out and found herself another drunk, abusive man to marry. And literally, literally, she leaves church Sunday... I get a call Thursday saying, Pastor, I won't be there this Sunday. So, you know, have so-and-so fill in for me. But I'll see you next Sunday. And when she shows up second Sunday, she's married. He was worse than the first. This woman, this was back in the early 90s. She made $2,300 a week. I don't know about you, but that's a lot of money. It only took him four years to the place where they were broke. Victimhood. She never cast down this imagination. She she just, it was the rut. If you're hearing this morning in a rut, listen to me. With the love and compassion of God, I want to tell you, I'm sorry what happened to you. But I am not going to comfort you in your rut. I'm going to call you out of it. Because God has better for you than that. He has better for you than that. The story is told as I get ready to close. It's happened in the early 1900s. And if, as it's been told to me, it's accurate, it involved a zoo here in Ohio the Cincinnati Zoo. There was a Russian bear. There was a bear that was part of a Russian circus and he was just incredible. He was considered, at least at that time, to be the largest bear seen by man. And so he was quite the draw. You know, this incredibly massive bear. And the Russian circus had actually come to the United States and was doing some traveling here in the States and and people would pay to go see this bear. And this bear was just a massive, powerful bear. But he had spent his, nearly his whole life in a cage that was a little bit smaller than a semi-trailer. And they could roll up the canvas on the side and there were bars and people could see it. And that's where he spent all of his time. And so the bear would, would walk this way and he would take his 12 steps, and he would get to the end of his cage, and he'd put his paw up and lift himself to turn himself. And he would take his 12 steps back this way. And he would get to the end of his cage, and he'd put his paw up to lift himself because the cage was too small for him to turn around inside of it. And he would lift himself and turn around. And for nearly a decade, that was his life. Well, while the Russian circus was here, they they went bankrupt, and the Cincinnati Zoo quickly reached out and they purchased the bear, and they brought it and they built an enclosure quickly. To, and 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 Everybody looked forward to the day this bear is huge bear is finally going to be on 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 display. But more than that, I mean, your heart you want him to be free. You could see the, the horrible, that's the totality of his life. So finally the day came and they drugged the bear and they moved him into the enclosure. And when the drugs wore off, he kind of got to his haunches and sat there and looked around. and Looked at all the space he had. he got up and he turned and he walked twelve steps this way and he turned and he walked twelve steps this way while looking at all that all that space all that freedom he walked his twelve steps and he turned and And they thought, well, let's just give it some time. Months went by. And when you went to see him, that's all he did was he took his 12 steps. You see, even even though, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Even though the prison was gone, he was still a prisoner. I'm telling you right now, that prison you think you're in is gone, or Jesus failed in his mission. so they thought maybe if we move him so they drugged him and they moved him to, d- to a different place some of you have been moving you, you you go from that neighborhood to maybe if I move to this state maybe if I get her as my wife maybe if I get him as my husband maybe if I go to that church maybe if I have that job Maybe if I lose weight. Maybe if I don't care about my weight. Maybe. Anybody hearing me? And the bear woke up. And he shook off the drugs. And he sat on his haunches. And he's now looking at all new territory. And he got up and he walked 12 steps. And he turned and walked 12 steps. And he never broke that pattern. I'm here to tell you the cage is gone. Cast down that imagination. I don't I don't know how complex thinkings of bears are. I don't know. I can imagine this. Boy, it'd be nice to go over there. Look at that water. Oh, wouldn't it be nice? I wish I could. I wish I could get out and play and all that. But I'm stuck in this cage. I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish upon a star, and then he's going to get you nowhere. You don't wish. You put your hope in Jesus Christ. That's Bishop Michael Rice, lead pastor of Encounter. More messages from Pastor Rice are available at our website, godenc.com. You can subscribe to our regular podcast through our website or on iTunes. Find us on Facebook under Encounter.